Welcome to the Outlaw Radio Show. My name is Zach Adams, and I pastor a church located just outside of Athens, Georgia. The name of the church is Calvary 316. If you're local, I'd love to invite you to come join us. Come check us out. Our Sunday service is at 1030. You can learn more about the church by visiting our website, which is calvary316.tv.com.net.org. Very easy to find us. Just Google it. I do hope, regardless of where you're listening, whether it be on the radio, whether it be via the podcast, uh, whatever the medium happens to be, I do hope you stay with me over the next hour or so as we do what we always try to do, and that's deconstruct the negative perception that the world has of Christians by having just honest and real conversations about things that are relevant. Uh, Today is going to be a very unique episode because I've invited a good friend of mine to be on the show to tell his story. And I want to go ahead and kind of tease you why I've invited David to be on the show to share his story. And that is the fact that I've known David Tobin for a long time, for many years, and he's got an interesting tale of how he ultimately surrendered his life to Jesus. And it it wasn't necessarily a Damascus Road moment, but the Lord really revealed himself through several trials, several really terrible things that happened. But as he looks back on his life, he sees the Lord's hand on him. And so I just kind of want to, with that setting the stage, welcome my friend, David Tobin. David, welcome to the Outlaw Radio Show. Thank you. Glad to be here. We've known each other for how many years, you would say? Oh, gosh, I don't know. Depends on how old you are. Uh, probably about 20, 25 years, somewhere in that range. A long time. Yes, yes. You know me back in my middle school and I, teenage I, years. I, I do. I do. I know you probably um, better than anybody at our church does. That's true. That's true. <laughs> David, in a lot of different ways. Well, I'll kind of set, set the stage here. So I've known David for years and years and years and years. Uh, David was an elder at my father's church until they moved out our direction, started coming to Calvary 316. And, and most recently, I've mentioned on the show that I took a trip to Cuba, and uh, David came with me. David uh, had my back, and, and we went, saw what the Lord was doing. And um, and it was through really just those five days of conversation um, that Mr. Tobin became my friend David. And I got to know his story in just a very personal way. And, and I had always known a lot of your story, but had never really heard it kind of condensed down mm-hmm. and kind of packaged. And I just thought, even coming back from Cuba, man, I got to have you on the show. I got to have you tell your story. And so uh, give us a little bit of a background of, of who you are, where you're from, just some generalities, and then we'll dive into the story. Well, um, I was born and raised in Atlanta. Um I moved uh, to the Avondale area, Belvedere Plaza, or the the Belvedere area, when I was five. And I lived there through my entire um, first grade through 12th grade years. And um, about a year after I graduated uh, high school, I I met my wife-to-be, Ricky. And she was young. I was young. I was 19. She was 16. And we got married at, at that age. And um, we um, had a little wedding at, at a small church, and and um, so we started out. We were we were kids, excuse me, and we had kids, and um, so we kind of grew up together. We, um, we we've gotten to the point now um, where we're nearing our 49th year anniversary, and and then next year will be uh, our 50th year. And we were married in 1970, and. Um, so it's gotten to the point, anything that, that, that I have done, she has done. So many times we ask, have you ever been there? Well, have you ever been there? Because if you've been there, I've been there. So it's gotten kind of that far, except for she's never been to Cuba. She's never been she's to never Cuba. She's never been to Cuba. I, I, should, have. I should interject that anyone that knows you guys knows without a doubt that Ricky is far and away your better half. Absolutely. Absolutely. She, uh, you know, there's two things we really had going for us when we were young and we had babies right away. Um, we had, uh, my mother was, a, was a praying woman and her grandmother was a praying woman. And those two women, um, wore their knees out for us for, for many, many years. But, um, as you'll hear in, in I guess a little bit, um, what all that, how that came to fruition. So you and Ricky get get uh, married young, start having kids right away. You're a, a good Southern boy. Yep. 
um, Atlanta resident native. Same with Ricky. Mm-hmm. Uh, can you give us just a little bit of a a, a backdrop of um, just your religious upbringing, uh, church life? How involved were you, etc.? You and Ricky both, since your stories are so intertwined. Um, well, I was I was uh, I was raised as a Methodist. Uh, Ricky was um, when she was with her grandmother, she would attend church. Uh, many times it would be a Episcopal church or a Lutheran church. Uh, but I was I was raised as a Methodist, and um, we went every Sunday. Went to Sunday school. Very seldom went to church, but we went to Sunday school. And then later, uh, and, and it was usually forced. I usually had to go. My mother my mother took us to church. I had um, two sisters and a brother. And uh, my dad, he was uh, supposedly raised Catholic, and he stayed at home and cooked uh, Sunday dinner for us. But uh, we were always required to go. And then once I became uh, got in high school, we were required to go in the morning, and then we had to, to attend the youth group uh, that Sunday evening, which occurred during uh, the, the evening service. So you had a religious upbringing. I did. I, I knew who Jesus was. Um, I believed in Jesus. I, I knew all the miracles he performed. Um, I just never really walked with Jesus. And I think one of your sermons really early on, uh, probably as your youth as a youth pastor, as a uh, was was about um, just how it's different between knowing who Jesus is and knowing Jesus, right? And and walking with Jesus. See, so, so in a lot of ways, you were almost the the quintessential Southern Christian. I, I was um, dressed up every Sunday uh, after we got married. I, I we we um, because of my mother. Um, she had us going to church still. Uh, when we had babies, um, got to bring those babies up in church. So we continued to go, and and Ricky worked in the nursery and and worked the mother morning mother's morning out at that time was she was a stay at home mom. Um, at at nineteen and sixteen when we started having having kids and and up through um, probably after Ryan was getting close to, to starting school, she, she was a stay-at-home mom. So the first eight or ten years of our life, she stayed at home. So church, re- your life's revolved around church, but I think as you mentioned, you knew a lot about Jesus but didn't really know Jesus. It was- you know, I, to be honest with you, um, I, I guess a heathen would be the, the correct term. I, I'm not sure, but um, as a young man, uh, once we moved to Snellville, um, we, st- continue- we used to go to Decatur First Methodist Church. Is where we attended church, and um, then we moved to Snellville, and we started going to, to Snellville Methodist. Um, eventually, I was the the president of the men's club, um, and so I was on the uh, council of ministries. Um, and again, I, I, I believed in Jesus. I dressed up every Sunday. I was a, an usher and. And president of the men's club, and and sat on the council, but but to say I was a, a born again Christian, I I was not. So you wouldn't say you were a Christian, even in all those not years. Not as of experience. if if I had died back um, before nineteen ninety six. Um, yeah, I, I was. I'd be burning in hell. <laughs> but, <laughs> to say to, to put say, it, to yeah, put that's it right. <laughs> okay, so with with kind of, that kind of backdrop established. Let's um, let's talk about how that began to change and some of the things that occurred in your life that kind of set you on a path. Um, what would you think be the first, just looking back over your life, the first thing, the first big thing that began this, this, this journey? Well, probably the fire. The fire. When, when our house burned and... Um, Christmas morning, 1975, we'd been married five years. We had two small children. Um, Cheryl, I think she was maybe three. Uh, Tiffany was, was four. Um, and our house burned. Tell and, us the story. How did, how did that happen? What was that morning like? Uh, well, we, we lived on Lynn Lane in Decatur, uh, just off of Glenwood Road, and uh, not too far from where my mother lived. Um, 
we had bought our first house, and that occurred. We we had moved from a couple of different apartments uh, right after we got married. Um, we would stay a, a year, year and a half somewhere, and move to the next apartment, and and uh, then we started renting this house from a a friend of ours, uh, and he had five houses on this street. He owned a water meter company right behind it, and and um, Butch McKinney was one of them. They lived across the street from us, and but he had he the Mr. Slocum owned the, the house across the street, our house, uh, the house next door, and then two up the street a little bit. And in the summer of 75, he decided to, to put them up for sale. And he offered them to us in a, at a good time in, a, in our life. And so we bought the house, August of 1975. It was our first home we ever bought. And the reason that's so important is because Christmas morning of that same year, um, our house burned. I think the the audience should know something about you in particular. Mm-hmm. Um, Christmas is a big deal at it, the Tobin household. It, it is, especially um, in today's today's time. We've had a couple of big events on Christmas. So why is Christmas such a big deal? I mean, going back even then, though, I mean, Christmas has always been a a, a big deal at your home. Uh, just maybe because of the the way, um, maybe our. our the way we were raised, I don't know. We came from different backgrounds. Um, her mother and dad um, didn't spend a lot of time with them. Um, her dad was was gone a lot. My dad traveled a lot, but but my mother was always at home. And and when we had those those babies at a, at, at nineteen and and twenty one for me, and and sixteen and eighteen for her. Um, I don't know. It just the the Christmas was always so exciting. It was and family time. It, it was. It was. And that that particular Christmas of '75, it was the first Christmas we owned a home, and and we had uh, had bought a lot of stuff for them for the kids. Like I say, the, the girls were both real young, um, and we had decorated. And that particular night, Ricky's sister and and bro, and and her future husband they spent the night with us, and. They slept on the couch, and during that the night, um, it was cold. It was real cold. Uh, got down to near twenty, and um, heaters in those days were different than oh, they are today. Yes, they are. And we had four furnaces. Now, I don't know what you, if you know what a floor furnace is, but it's a to put it. The, the easiest way is it's a giant gas burner that sits in the corner of the living room. There was one there, and there was one in the in the hallway, and you did not step on those grates when it was cold because the grate would get real hot because like I say, it was just a big gas burner. Yeah. And that night it was cold and they, Barry was sleeping on our couch and, um, had kicked a a jacket off onto the floor furnace. Just a freak accident. Just a freak accident. Um, and it was cold. So the furnace came on and because the jacket was blocking the heat and they, they worked on a thermostat, so once the room heated up, they would cut off both of them at the same time. And and um, but it was cold, and with the the thermostat near in the dining room, um, the heat stayed on. And that jacket because the jacket was blocking the heat in the area where the the dining room and the living room were, and so the it stayed on for a good time. And then Ricky woke up at six thirty in the morning. It was uh, she couldn't breathe, um, so she ran to the kitchen. Grabbed the phone, uh, saw that she saw orange flames coming from the living room, woke me up. I grabbed the kids, took them outside. She got on the phone and understand the phone was tied to a wall. Let's not rush this. We're running against a break and (laughs) and I want to kind of unpack and and give you time to kind of explain because there's there's actually some comedy to the tragedy just in how this all played out. But don't go anywhere if you're listening. Just stay with us. We'll be right back here with the Outlaw Radio Show. One of the most important visions of the Outlaw Radio Show is our desire to challenge you to think critically, ask relevant questions, and then pursue answers on your own. The sad reality is many Christians fail to reflect Christ because they don't know what they believe or why they believe what they do. This is why, in addition to the Outlaw Radio Show tackling tough topics you might not hear at church, it is our desire to equip, inspire, and challenge you to dig into God's Word and wrestle with these complex topics on your own. To help you in this important process, 
we want you to check out blueletterbible.org. It would be an understatement to say that this website will transform the way you study the Bible. In fact, it will revolutionize it. Aside from their treasure trove of free online commentaries, blueletterbible.org also has an incredible word search function, making it super simple to dive into the original language behind a text. So if you want to dig deeper into your study of scripture and in the process, learn and grow, we encourage you to check out blueletterbible.org today. Welcome back to the Outlaw Radio Show. I'm joined by a friend of mine, David Tobin, who's telling his story. I think it's a very important story, uh, very personal. Uh, where we are, what year is it? 1970? 1975. It's 1975. David and Ricky are about how old? Early At that 20s? time, I was um, 24, um, and Ricky was um, 21. So we have a young couple, been married for a few years. You've got two little kids. You've mm-hmm. bought in your first home. Mm-hmm. Everyone is excited yes. about Christmas morning. Yes. Christmas morning. So yes. that Christmas Eve, you get the kids tucked into bed. Sure, you get the presents under the tree. You get everything set up for for the sure. morning. Absolutely, you've got kin folk that are in town sleeping on the couch. Mm-hmm. Old school furnaces is how we heat the home, mm-hmm. and a jacket ends up falling on one of these furnaces. It ignites. There's a fire. That's Ricky correct. is the first one to see what's going on. She, she pick woke it up, up from there. She woke up. My wife Ricky. She woke up, and we had. It was a small house. It was a two bedroom house. So that night, Lane had slept in the recliner. Barry had slept on the sofa. The, the jacket got kicked off onto the furnace. Ricky wakes up, and she couldn't breathe. And that was the first miracle because the fireman told us that smoke will put you to sleep, not wake you up. And for her to wake up, that was the first miracle that happened. About what time in the morning? 6.30. 6.30 in the morning. Um, and so I gra- Ricky wakes me up, said the house is on fire. I start grabbing the kids. Uh, woke Lane and Barry up, and kind of funny, they ran out the front door and shut the door behind them, <laughs> and um, which kind of made the problem even worse. And so, uh, Ricky, we, we get the kids out, put them in the car, and Ricky grabs the phone, and the phone's tied to the wall in the in the kitchen. I should uh, interject that this is before nine one one was a thing. Uh, before nine one one, before cell phones, before any of that. So she had to physically take the phone book off the top of the refrigerator, <laughs> thumb through it. While find, the house is on fire. While the house is on smoke. fire, call the fire department, which was within 150 yards of our house. Okay. And the kids and the fire firemen there knew me. He knew the girls because there was a store right across the street from the fire station called the Glenwood Grocery. And every afternoon for a year and a half that we lived there before this, um, a lot of afternoons, I would walk the girls over to the Glenwood Grocery, and we would pick up milk or do our mm-hmm. little pick up whatever, and buy them candy. And we always stopped and talked to the firemen, so they knew who we were. They knew where we lived, and so she had to literally look up in the phone book the address of the fire department for that particular station, call the number, and they ran out and saw the the flames starting to come through the roof. And so the fire trucks, we got everybody out, pushed the car to the end of the street. Um, I sat down in the front yard. Uh, Ricky took the kids across the street to a neighbor's house. Real quick, because there's one detail that, that I thought was really funny when you were telling mm-hmm. me the story. Tell me about the couch, because you, you you went into like firefighting mode on your own. I did. Um, Lane and Barry had walked, ran out the front door, and they did go get the car. And they did put the or had the door open for us to throw the kids in the car, and then Barry pushed the car back. But I was ran back inside, and when I ran inside, um, the window started blowing out. I was gonna the, the Christmas tree had caught fire at this point, and um, so I tried to grab the Christmas tree, and of course the front door was closed. And so when I opened the front door, the burst of the air, air that came oxygen, in yeah. all of a sudden. Um, the windows were blowing out. Um, I saw the fire run, going run, running around the baseboards, saw the walls catching fire, and that's when I ran outside. And with my little garden hose, I was trying to put this fire out as the um, 
fire trucks pulled Didn't up. Didn't at one point you try to get the couch out the front door? I did. Um, I tried to. Well, it was the couch that probably, when I got it over near the tree is, is when the door was closed and I tried to open it. And that's when the, the tree burst into flames because the edge of the couch was on fire already. And it was. It, it didn't the couch didn't hit the tree but i guess it was just getting so hot with the smoke and all it just kind of exploded and that's when it really at what point did you think i got to get out of here uh when i got stuck in the doorway with that burning couch and the tree right behind me and the <laughs> fire was running around the baseboards so i ran out through the dining room um as the windows were, were blowing out and all and the kitchen was and i ran out the kitchen door and then i just sat down in the front the fire trucks pulled up and the ironic thing is they started with the water truck and they had to pull the hoses straight back to the fire department because that's where the nearest fire hydrant was. So they drove to the house. So they and drove they to the to house run. and then pulled the hoses back to the fire department. <laughs> so, but they got the fire out and, and we, um, we had to stay out of the house until they got until they got it completely out and the attic had caught fire. So it had burned through the roof and the kids were across the street. I'd called my mother from over there again landline um and she lived a couple of miles from us and so she came over picked ricky up and the, and the girls and took them over to our house um or my mother's house excuse me and uh so i was sitting there and and the fireman came up and he says i got to show you something and um it'd been about this at this point it's about eight o'clock something like that so the sun's coming up it was cold uh I had a jacket that was given to me, and I'm still not sure where it came from, but it was a big, heavy coat, and I, I had wore it for a long time. Um, but we didn't; we lost everything. We were in our pajamas, and um, so I. Uh, the, the fireman comes up and he says, I, "There's something I need to show you, Mister Tobin. It's safe for us to go in now." And we walked in the back door in the dining room, and we had a, a console TV, and on this console TV was a. a a little punch out nativity scene we always put out a nativity scene we decorated to the hilt with santa and everything else but we always had a little nativity scene and this was the kind that you it was in a little book little cardboard book and you built them with the kids and remember right. they were they were small and you punch them out and tab a folds into tab b <laughs> and there are these little cone-shaped wise men and car was sitting on this um on top of the tv there in the in the dining room and the, the, the screen of the TV's burned. The, the cabinet of the, the console TV was burned. Every, the curtains had burned off the wall. Uh, windows had blown out. And we walk in there, and there's this nativity scene just sitting there, untouched. It was like it had no smoke on it. There was nothing wrong with it. There was little, we'd put little straw in there, hay, and it was still there. It just is as pretty as you put it. And there was a, an ornament that was left um, on the floor, and it said to the Tobins, Merry Christmas, 1975. And it was from R.W. Slocum, the man that sold us the house, knowing it was our first Christmas. It made us this little brass ornament. And Ricky had put it on the door, um, and it, too, was sitting there just as, as pretty and as pristine as, as it could be. Now, this was such a bizarre occurrence. It was that the it fire was a miracle. that the, the firemen felt like you got to see this. Yes, they were shocked. Now you got to understand that they were pouring water in this house for a good hour through the roof, through the blown out windows into the dining room where they were, and but they weren't wet. Everything you know, everything was wet, um, because they poured. now in the in the moment like what. Again, because we're telling a story that, that kind of documents a journey, and this is the first moment that the Lord's really kind of starting to do some things. In that time, is this just a in retrospect, or even in the moment, did you feel something stirring? I, I did a little bit. Um, I thought, wow. And then, and of course, there was, you know, a lot of things happened after that, too, in the next few days. Well, pick pick up, tell uh, us a little bit about that. Well, okay. Um, number one, I, I was... was um, you know, 24, 25 years old and, and 24 years old. And you lost everything. And I, we lost everything. And so I'm thinking, I have nothing. Everything, you know, we've only been at a household for five years, but I've lost everything. Two little kids. How am yeah. I going to take care and of this? And I didn't yeah. know. This happened on a Thursday, hmm. Thursday morning. 
and everything was closed then. The cl- stores were closed that Thursday, that Friday, that Saturday, that Sunday. Nothing was open on Sunday. Not like it is today. Macy's it, opens on on Monday. On point. Monday. Right, yeah. But and, and Rich's doesn't Rich's at that time doesn't open until Monday. Kroger doesn't open until Monday. Now the convenience stores, there were seven elevens around, and that's pretty much the only thing that was open. Um, so you got to get clothes and food, and you got to figure and, all. And this I don't out. even know if I've got, at, at this point, I, I don't even know if I've got insurance. They said, "Well, you got insurance." I said, "No, I, I don't have insurance." And then later, I found out because I bought the house, you have to have insurance. <laughs> right. So I did have insurance, um, but there for you know four days, it was it was a, a lost pup. But I get we go over to my mother's, and, and some things happen. Now it's it's nine ten o'clock in the morning. First, a guy comes by there. Um, he says his name was Old Yeller, and he wants to know. He said, I've heard you've had a bad fire. We've been by there and seen it. Uh, somebody got on the radio started talking about it, and we want to help. And we've heard you've got a couple of kids. They took our sizes, what size clothes we wear, what size clothes the kids wear, um, the ages of the kids. Um, he says, I got something for you. And he, he says, uh, just to bring in a little cheer. And my mother had a, one of these aluminum Christmas trees. That's all she had. We had a great, real cr- Christmas tree and had decorated it. And and uh, he looks over and, and he says, uh, we got something for you. And he brings in a Christmas tree, fully decorated, walks in, plugs it in. Hmm. Now, it came out of somebody's living room. Right, <laughs> right, know? right. And this was the year of picture window. So, And, and then many other things happened. Um, well, that's a good place for us to pause okay. because I want to I want to pick up because – there was an incredible outpouring of of kindness shown to you and, and your family. Um, don't go anywhere. We're going to kind of continue this this story, David's journey, he and Ricky, uh, here on the Outlaw Radio Show. You know, when you're right in the middle of a very difficult circumstance in life, it's sometimes hard to see how God could ever use this for good. As we're listening to today's edition of the Outlaw Radio Show with Zach Adams and special guest David Tobin, We're getting a little glimpse of just how important it is to keep focused on the Lord in the middle of difficult circumstances. David is sharing how he came to Christ and how God used average people, people just like you, to minister to him. Uh, Don't go anywhere. We want you to stay with us for the second half of the Outlaw Radio Show, where we hear how David Tobin came to Christ. Thanks for coming back for the second half of the Outlaw Radio Show with Zach Adams and special guest, David Tobin. Welcome back to the Outlaw Radio Show. I'm joined by my friend, David Tobin, who is telling us kind of his journey with the Lord. And just a bit of a recap, David and Ricky married young. Uh, David, always involved in church growing up. Uh, Your quintessential Southern Christian knew a ton of things about Jesus and was faithful to always be at church on Sundays and when the doors were open, but I think to his own admission, didn't know Jesus. Uh, frankly put, felt as though in retrospect, if he had if he had died in those years, that Jesus would have said, depart, because I don't know you. And uh, and yet, that's not the way that it is today, and there's a journey. There's, there's this process, this interesting process uh, of David really coming to know the Lord and the Lord really revealing himself and him getting to know Jesus personally. Um, the first big event uh, along this particular trek was the fire of 1975. Christmas morning, two little kids, David and Ricky are in their early 20s, and they lose everything. House burns to the ground. Amazingly, a little nativity set, an ornament was spared, shocked the fire department, Lord's starting to do stuff. So I just kind of setting that stage. There's an outpouring of love and support. People are providing. The stores are closed for four days. You're trying to figure out how to survive. Uh, kind of pick things up uh, right there, if you would. Well, um, a fellow had come by the house. Um, we had gone over to my mother's house at this point. It's probably about 9, 30, 10 o'clock in the morning. He comes in and gives everybody sizes, um, the girls' ages, um, and he brings in a Christmas tree. And plugs it in to kind of cheer us up a little bit. And so a little bit later, um, another family shows up. 
and says, we heard about your situation uh, on the CB radio, and everybody's talking about it, and um, we got dinner for you. And they bring in a fully cooked turkey, dressing, great giblet gravy, um, everything you could imagine, all the way down to pie. And these are people you, d- you don't know. It came right off of somebody's table, just like that Christmas tree came out of somebody's living room. We have no idea whose. Gotcha. To this day, I remember the face. I, I have no idea. Her name was something like um, Lady Firecracker or something like that. I mean, everybody had a handle because they were all sea beers. <laughs> and right. then, right. then the, and, and that was, and that started people coming by every couple of hours. And we got gifts that were wrapped in my size. Ricky's size, the kids' size, all new clothes, toys, everything that was on their Christmas list for Santa somehow got filled that day. On Christmas. On Christmas. Dolls, um, little play sets, dollhouse, anything you could imagine that a little girl would want to play with, um, they got that day. And... The house next door, I, I, I told you there was five houses this guy owned. He put them up for sale. I bought one. The house next door was still vacant. It hadn't sold yet. And Terry and Vicky who lived there uh, were her friends of ours, and they had moved. Well, Mr. Slocum comes by. He says, I've already called the power company. He said, they can't be by here till Monday. So we done busted the, the, the seal in the back, and we got the power on for you. I've turned the water on for you. I, I, I'll call the water department when they open um he said here's the keys to the house um he said the gas is on the electric's on you worry about settling up with me later um if we even settle up at all but you need a place to stay so um the next day that friday um the word was still out with the sea beers and they they continued to the little trek now they found out we had a place we were moving to next door to the burned out house and so furniture started showing up. Now, this <laughs> wasn't new furniture, but it was it was, it was still, furniture. It you was it. it was workable furniture. And at you this had point, nothing. Right. We had nothing. We thought we were going to have nothing. We didn't think we were going to have beds. We didn't have pillows. We didn't have anything to sit on. Uh, we but we had a house now that we were going to be in, and things started showing up: dining room table, sofas, end tables. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Yeah, money. They they brought in, gave us two hundred dollars. Uh, in cash that they had raised and and was they were apologizing because they didn't have more um and by the time monday rolled around and we called the mortgage company and the insurance company we found out we were insured which was a relief which which was a relief (laughs) um they um they came out inspected the house and the house was going to be rebuilt um but it would take them about four to six months uh to get it done and uh, but I had a place to stay for the next however long I needed it. From, the Lord from, took care of you. The Lord took care of us, and and we saw all that, and we, and we knew the Lord took care of us, and and we did get involved in church. Um, the kids grew. Um, they were a big reason we we attended church as much as we did. Um, they they started falling in love with the Lord. Um, these little girls and. And if we weren't going to take them, my mother was going to take them. And so we would take them. And, and so we it's slow. easier to just take them yourself than it, have it to is, do it with your mother. It right? is. But, but we still didn't make that, that next move. And, and we had you know, several years, uh, 20 years go by, and we raised a family. And um, our daughter, one of our daughters, had gone to, has, she had gone, she's now grown up. She's in college. She's moved out to Albuquerque, New Mexico. It's 21 years later in 1996, and she's been out there about six months or so and on an exchange program. And so um, she calls us one day, and, she's, and we were worried about cults because she, was, she loved the Lord, and she would go to different churches, and she, was handing, she would give people lunches at the uh, you know, homeless people at the interstate and things like that. So, so your t- chief concern for your daughter is that she just doesn't join a cult. Yes, right, that, we, that she just doesn't go off the deep end <laughs> with, with a— uh, you know, and of course, this was this was '96, so you have all the all the crazy stuff happening with cults. And she calls. She says, "Dad, um, I found a new church, and you'd love it." He said, "They wear sandals, shorts, t-shirts." And I was still Methodist. I was dressing up every so Sunday. So red flags are going up. Yeah, all red flags. 
Where are you going? A place called Calvary Chapel. Never heard of that. What are they? Well, they're non-denominational. What do you mean non-denominational? <laughs> so it goes back and forth. We get off the phone, and Ricky and I look at each other, and we went, Tiffany's in a cult. <laughs> So she, Ricky calls back, and she says, what's the name of that again? I want to know. And, of course, the Internet's just now getting kicked up. We were one of the last ones in Gwinnett County. You just had to ask our kids that actually got the Internet in our house and had a computer. But, <laughs> Does it surprise but, anyone that knows it? <laughs> but we had a computer and Internet. And so she calls Tiffany back. She says, Dad, they've got a website. It's a Calvary Chapel, and there's probably one in Georgia. Just go to their website. So Ricky gets on the Internet, and we find one, two of them, actually, one in Lawrenceville, Calvary Chapel, Gwinnett, and Calvary Chapel, Stone Mountain, and that's when they were still in the old building. Well, Ricky starts going, and I at this time, Cheryl had had a child, uh, Harrison, and so while Ricky was going to check out this church on Sunday mornings, I was staying home keeping Harrison as a baby, and uh, so we'd listen to, like, Crosby, Stills, and Nash, and just jam out. You had and, your own church. Yeah, and we had our own church, and I'd feed him my cereal, and and we had a good time. And one day, Ricky comes in, and she says, well, I uh, I did something this morning at church. I said, what's that? She said, well, um, I came forward. I said, came forward to where? She says, well, I went forward. <laughs> they had an altar call. I said, a what? She said, an altar call. I got saved. I said, saved from what? She said, I gave my life to Jesus. And I went, oh, no, you're born again, aren't you? And she says, yeah. I said, are you an embryo? And and, she, <laughs> and we started, you know, and, and and then I thought, you know what? I got to go check out this. My, this, my daughter's in a cult. My daughter's now my in, a cult, in a cult. Now they're sucking my wife right into the same thing. So I got to go check this out. Now, I just again, I want to just, I think this is important. You're still plugged into the Methodist church. We you're are. involved in committees. You're your name tag says Christian. It does. It does. It does. But but my heart wasn't there. And you're seeing something totally different happen now with your daughter and your wife. And and it, and it's it's foreign to us. We had always kidded about the Baptists because every time we went to a Baptist church, you know, we heard the hellfire and damnation, and that's all I could think of. Uh oh, she's been sucked down that vortex. So um, I decided well, I need to go and check it out. I want to pause right there because so now you, you're you're figuring out I gotta I gotta investigate this. Yeah, this got to remember this is this is now probably uh, October uh, mid November of 1996. 1996. Well, before we uh, take a break, I just want to reiterate something we always say, and that's our desire to hear from you, the listening audience. Uh, if this story is hitting you in a unique way, please reach out. The easiest way is our website, info at outlawradio.org. Our website is also outlawradio.org. Very easy to find. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back with the Outlaw Radio Show. Did you know beyond the unique content of the Outlaw Radio Show, Pastor Zach Adams also has an extensive teaching archive available online for free? If you love to study the Bible, we encourage you to check out c316.tv. Currently, Pastor Zach is teaching verse by verse through the Gospel of John, but c316.tv also has video, audio, and sermon notes for the Gospel of Mark, the Book of Acts, Ephesians, Genesis, Philemon, Jonah, Philippians, as well as an in-depth study on the Olivet Discourse and Jesus' seven letters to the churches recorded in Revelation 3 and 4. With over 17,000 minutes of expositional Bible teaching and more than 2,775 pages of written sermon transcripts, C316.tv is a must-visit for any serious student of the Bible. Welcome back to the Outlaw Radio Show. We're running out of time, and David was like, give me as much time as you possibly can to wrap up my story, so I'm just going to shut up, turn the turn the mic over to David, so just you continue to tell your story. Okay, we're, we're looking at, at November of, of 96, and um, I've decided I've got to go check this out too, and, and it's about this time that they moved into the new building. And this Calvary is a Calvary Chapel, Stone Mountain. Calvary Chapel, Stone Mountain. And so... Um, I start going, and about that time, we decide we're going to redo the bathroom. I've, I have a Corvette, and it's in the basement, and the pan and the master bath is leaking, and it's dripping water on my Corvette. You can't have that. I can't have that. So I take a sledgehammer, knock out all the tile. We've got a shower. We've got a two-story. The house is on three levels. The basement is is the, the 
at the bottom. Then we got the main level where our master bath is and master bedroom. Then upstairs are two bathrooms. I mean, a bathroom and two bedrooms. And Ryan was living upstairs. He would, was at, in college, but when he would come home, he was still living upstairs. And Ryan's your youngest son. My so youngest you son. You have two daughters yes, and, and a son. And he's in his first year at Young Harris. And because um, he wasn't born yet when the house burned. Right. And so um, so we, we decided we're going to tear out the master bath. And we got a shower. It's a four-foot shower. And the, I knocked the tile out, and the wood's all dead under behind it. And so um, I called the tile guy that I have. I says, hey, it's, it's, I got some rotten wood besides the tile. He says, I, don't, I can't touch that. He says, you need to get somebody else to do it. So we call the insurance company. Insurance covers this. I didn't even know. Again, I didn't know insurance covered a, a leaking pan on a house that has wood damage. And so they write me a check. I get paid for hauling the tile away, but we fix the shower. Um, and as the guy's measuring, we find we have a false wall as I tear everything out. My wife wanted a tub. We put a tub in. That's very important uh, that we put a tub in and redid everything because – you wouldn't have had the tub if it wasn't for the fake wall for, and the rotten wood. And, and all the that. rotten wood and everything else. And we we had a quarter of an inch to spare if we bought a tub to get it in the house and install <laughs> a quarter inch. But your wife wanted a tub. She wanted, so, it, so she got a tub. It was happening. So we, we, we get everything done. We wrap it up the week of Christmas. Ryan comes home from Young Harris. And Christmas Day, um, we've had one of the best days we've had. All day long, it's been a, been a great day all Christmas. Um, all three kids are home. Tiffany's up. She lives in Florida now. She's up with uh, her husband. Uh, Cheryl's at home. Uh, got Harrison. Um, he's like two. And um, so, um, and, and I'm starting to go to Calvary Chapel. Ricky's given her life a couple of months before. Well, that night, we get a call. Ryan had gone, to, was going to go to the movie with a bunch of his buddies that were home from college. And they were finally getting a chance to get together. Now, this we've had a great day with everybody. Christmas so, evening. Christmas evening. So we say, hey, go. You go. Have a good time with your buddies. So they leave. And about 830 that night, we take a call. Again, on a landline. We still got the, yeah. the phone tied to, I think we maybe had a wireless phone at this point. But it's still tied to the wall at some point. And I hear Ricky say, oh, my gosh, is he still alive? And then she hangs up the phone. Why is she? She says, that was a friend of Ryan's. Um, he said he's in a bad wreck. And all she knows is that he's still alive. So I was at Chandler Road and, and um, Cooper Road uh, down there. And so we take off. And we get to the intersection of, of Highway 20, about a half mile from where the wreck scene was. And they got the road shut down. And I panic. I tell the cop, he says, get up there as close as you can. Please stay out of the way. I get there, um, and Ricky was calm. I am terrified. I see Ryan. Uh, I see somebody in the car. They're trying. They got the roof cut off. They got the jaws of life. They're getting him out. Um, I don't know who it is, and I'm running around going, where is my son? I'm looking for my son. And everybody else has gone to the hospital at this point. There were seven people gone that went to the hospital that night. Ryan was the last one uh, because they thought he was dead. And so we, um, I'm looking around, and a fireman comes up, and he says, Mr. Tobin, that's your son in the car. And I just collapsed. Well, a friend of mine who was an elder at the Baptist church happened to be there. He lived around the corner. And we prayed, and I gave my life right there to the Lord on the bumper of that fire truck. Because I, I kept telling Harold, I says, I just want to take his place. I just want to take his place. Mm. And he says, hey, somebody else has already taken your place. Right. And so I give my life to the Lord. And we we head off. Ryan goes to the uh, – they finally get him out. Um, everybody had, had been um, helivacked out of there. But they, they were having to take him to DeKalb uh, Medical. It was DeKalb General at the time because it was the nearest one with a trauma center. And they needed all the, the people they could get. And so we get there, and, and we call Jane and Butch. Um, they're what we call our 2 a.m. friends. And by now, it's, it's probably midnight or a little after. And um, so long story short, um, Ryan was barely clinging to life. And he was in intensive care. Uh, we had 13 uh, cast of characters working on him that night. They introduced us to the plastic surgeon who was, um, he had an eyelid laceration. 
um, we had a the guy that specialized in putting uh, rods and and broken major bones like a humerus and a femur, and and Ryan had both of those broken. The only reason he survived is because he drank pretty much a gallon of milk a day, and the surgeon said his his bones are so hard we ruined three drill bits drilling through to put the pin in, and um, that. A couple of days later, and again, it, it's it's a funny time of the week, and, and the weekend's coming up, and it's Christmas, um, and we're in intensive care, and the place is packed. There must have been three or 400 people, it seemed like, in that room because everybody's family was there because it was Christmas. Right. And Ryan had all his friends there. There were kids um, that I knew, and there were kids I didn't know, but but again, they were all there in support of us. And we're still going to the Methodist Church, but we're also going to Calvary uh, Chapel now. Um, I'm not really plugged in, but we were always plugged in at the Methodist Church. And Cheryl is still, um, she's the uh, contemporary worship leader there. That's Harris's mom. And um, so we're sitting there, and this this guy with long dreadlocks come in, and Ricky goes, that's Kevin Fitzgerald. I said, who's that? She said, he's that worship leader. He's the guy that plays the pink guitar. (laughs) up on the stage at at calvary chapel i said you're kidding i wonder who he's here to see she said he may be here to see me (laughs) and so um about that time the methodist preacher comes up not the preacher but the the pastor of visitation is what they call yeah and he he was like i was he was you know just uh, he was on the council of ministries he spoke to cheryl for 10 seconds he says i got other people i got to visit today i'll see if you need anything call me didn't speak to me, didn't speak to Ricky, spoke to Cheryl, and, and they leave. Because now we're going to yeah. Calvary Chapel. We're outcasts. Well, Kevin stays for like two hours. And people are up. The kids are just, they're loving him. And he's telling Bible stories, and everybody's engaged. And I'm listening. And I'm, man, this is, this is, man, this is the coolest thing I've ever seen. Well, he starts praying. And all of a sudden, you, in that whole room, that not, packed, the cab general is packed. Intensive care is full. All these people have family members. He starts praying, and you could hear a, you couldn't hear a pin drop. It, it was so quiet. Everybody. He wasn't just praying for Ryan. He was praying for praying for everybody in that intensive care unit, and everybody was tuned in. Again, I was just. I've just. I've just given my life to the Lord, like you know, less than forty eight hours ago, and here I'm seeing this. This miracle and this guy that, that cares so much for us and because your dad was my pastor at the time he was out of town yeah the associate pastor james he was also out of town it's kevin christmas it was christmas yeah. kevin it was the only one left and he didn't know who we were <laughs> but he was there but he was there yeah and and i asked him years later because he and i came real became real close um i said when you were in that elevator going up to see Two people that you had no idea who they were that had a son <laughs> that was dying. Yeah. What did you do? He says, I just prayed that the Lord give me the words. And I said, he did. Now, we're, we're running out of time very, okay. very quickly. Uh, your son survived. He did. And- um, he ended up giving his life to the Lord. Um, Tiffany had given her life to the Lord in Albuquerque at Calvary Chapel. Mm-hmm. Cheryl had come around, and she gave her life to the Lord at Calvary Chapel, Stone Mountain. Um. I gave my life to the Lord. Uh, it was through Jeff Jones originally playing with me, but yeah. then I really grew at, at Calvary Chapel. So I guess the the lesson here, and what I think makes your story so significant, is that the Lord used some very traumatic experiences on Christmas to reveal himself to you. You think that's safe to say? I, I know he did. And, and we went for a long period, and I tell people all the time, I'm, I'm like, like Moses, I wandered around for forty years in the desert. Right. So there were twenty years there that, that we knew that Jesus was at the the heart of what what we yeah. went through with the fire, but we never get made that commitment to really listen to to Jesus and what it takes to be born again and to to be in the kingdom of heaven. If you're listening to this and you're going through something hard, Jesus can use it, and I think that's the great exhortation of David's story. David, thank you so much for being on the show. Wish I had another hour. I'm Zach Adams, and I hope you join me again this time next week for the Outlaw Radio Show. You've been listening to the one and only Outlaw Radio Show with Zach Adams. As mentioned, if you like what you heard, be sure to connect with us on Facebook. 
Follow us on Twitter or check out our website by visiting outlawradio.org. To listen again to today's show, access our daily two-minute broadcast or full-length episodes, check out the Outlaw Radio podcast, available on both iTunes and Google Play. Once again, don't forget, we want to hear from you if you have questions, want to challenge something that was said, or would like to submit topics you'd like to hear Zach discuss on air, you can either email us at info at outlawradio.org, or you can leave a voicemail at 678-883-3316. Finally, programs like Outlaw Radio are wonderful tools God can use to change lives, But as with any ministry, there are expenses involved. First, if you're not tithing to your local church, you need to do so. And yet, if God has laid it upon your heart to extend your generosity above and beyond your tithe, we'd ask that you prayerfully consider supporting Outlaw Radio. Every donation ensures this show remains on your local station. To learn how you can become a financial partner, please visit outlawradio.org. Well, that's all the time we have for today. We hope you join us again next week for the Outlaw Radio Show with Zach Adams. Outlaw Radio is a ministry of Calvary 316 in partnership with his productions.